Thank you, Neville, and thank you for all coming out tonight on a lovely, bright summer evening. Hopefully more to come. We have been looking over the past year or so on the theme of the shepherd. Whenever we introduced the next two years to you, we talked about the fact that we would be looking at the shepherd. And we commenced with, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. And we've also been focusing for a, a number of our Sunday mornings already on 1 Samuel and moving into 2 Samuel. And we're looking at David, the shepherd king. And we'll be picking up some of further themes relating to the shepherd as we go through the incoming year. And we thought it would be useful just to take a very, very quick overview, if you like, an airline, aircraft, helicopter shot of what the Bible teaches as a theme on the shepherd. Now, it's going to be fast, rapid, and a lot will be left out. And you'll say, why didn't he include that? Or why didn't he explain that? Well, if we had another four or six weeks, we could have done so. But all we're doing is a very short snap of what it means to be the good shepherd. As you are aware, I grew up in Japan, and you never saw sheep in Japan. Outside of the zoo, I saw them once. Two sheep in a pen up in the mountain farm kept as pets. So whenever you go to Japan and you talk about shepherding and sheep, they look at you blankly. And over the years in my line and teaching, we had pupils and students used to visit us from Japan. And I taught in Ballyclare, which is out there in the countryside. And whenever they were moving around in the minibus, they would see the sheep, especially in the springtime. And they would be delighted. And you can imagine every window was occupied with an iPhone taking a photograph of the sheep and the lambs. And some of you may be familiar with the Japanese word, which is now in some of our vocabulary, kawaii, which means cute. One day we stopped to take a photograph, and the farmer saw us standing there, and he said, would you like to see the sheep? And of course, the Japanese students were delighted. Please, please, please. It was April, and so he took them into the barn, and as soon as we walked into the barn, I could see the hands going up, covering the noses and the mouth. And he had a number of ewes in the process of giving birth. I'm not going to go into any more detail. I'll let your imagination run wild. But all of a sudden, when I looked around, these Japanese students who initially had called the sheep kawaii cute were now green and making a beeline for the door. And when they got out, they said, they're smelly. They're dirty. It wasn't pleasant. I said, yeah, that, that's the reality. I said, that poor farmer has been up all night helping ewes give birth. And sometimes whenever we look at the topic of the shepherd in the Bible and sheep in the Bible, we go for the cute picture the nice picture, the pastures, green, sheep grazing, 
and everybody happy. And the reality is, it was nothing like that. And yet the Bible uses the theme of the shepherd and sheep to speak to us. It says that we are like sheep. That's a strange statement to make. I don't know very much about sheep, but I do know they're not very intelligent. Somebody told me that if a sheep is more than a couple of hundred yards away from its pasture or its home, it's lost. A sheep will follow other sheep through a hole in the hedge and disappear. Sheep get themselves into all sorts of trouble. Sheep are wayward. They get lost. And so whenever the Bible talks about us as being sheep, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. So that immediately sets up a problem. If we're sheep and we've gone astray, what does that mean? Astray from whom? Astray from what? And the Bible very clearly teaches us that we have gone astray from God, who is our shepherd. You see, the Old Testament repeatedly tells us that God is our shepherd. The very, very first mention of the shepherd in the Old Testament is in the book of Genesis, chapter 48. And there Jacob, reflecting back on his life and reflecting back on his experiences, says, God has been my shepherd. God has been my shepherd. So in other words, Jacob is immediately saying that the shepherd is God. My father told me whenever I first started studying the Bible and speaking and so on, he said, David, never forget the rule of first reference. In other words, if you look back to where the Bible first refers to a term, you will get an explanation. And if you're a young person embarking upon a study of the Bible, I thoroughly recommend that. Go back to where it first mentions it, because the Bible defines itself. And so when the Bible says, and Jacob says, God has been my shepherd, he is immediately establishing the fact that God, who spoke into his life at Bethel in Genesis chapter 28, and said to him that his land would increase, his, his family would enlarge, and promised him blessings. And that chapter 28, between chapter 28 and chapter 48, he looks back and he says, God has been my shepherd. So all we like sheep have gone astray, but God is willing to be our shepherd. And that's the first reference in the Bible. God has been my shepherd. And then whenever we go to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17, we read that the Lamb will be their shepherd. Now, if you're a theologian, you're immediately wondering how I'm going to interpret this passage, because it's complex. I'm not. I'm simply going to that phrase, the Lamb will be their shepherd. 
The lamb will dry their tears. The lamb will give them water. The lamb will feed them. The lamb will be their shepherd. Think about that for a moment. A lamb being a shepherd? Surely that, that's, that's a contradiction of terms. Surely you, you, that doesn't make much sense. And so this evening, what I want to do is I want to take you from those two bookends. And this week, predominantly looking at the theme of the shepherd in the Old Testament, bringing it into the New, and also taking you into the New Testament next week. So, the Lord Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You know the passage well. You'll have heard it all repeatedly time and time again. You'll have heard it in Sunday school. You've even learned it as a verse. But, but what does it mean to say that I am the good shepherd? In order to fully understand it, we have to go into the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible with you, could I ask you to look at the book of Ezekiel with me? The book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. It's not a book that we study or read very often, but in chapter 34 we have a situation. This is written about 600 BC. It's written probably over a thousand years since Jacob has said, God has been my shepherd. The people are about to be taken into captivity, into exile. They're going to be taken into Babylon. And Ezekiel speaks into the situation, and here's what he said. Chapter 34 and verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. And he goes on to talk about how they were abused by the shepherds. And if you move down to verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them, 
and he shall feed them. Thy servant David. Now, bear in mind that this is written approximately four to five hundred years after David had died. So he's not referring to David, but he's referring to the lineage of David. In other words, the son of David. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David's prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, that complex passage sets a picture. It sets a picture in which people are being abused. So how does that fit in with the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I am the good shepherd? Let's just take a moment and think about being a shepherd in the Bible. You've got the couple of thousand years that the Bible covers with regards to shepherding. And so, therefore, it's completely wrong to think that shepherding in Genesis is the same as the shepherding of the shepherds in the field outside Bethlehem, a completely different scenario. Things have obviously changed. In the Old Testament, in the days of Abraham and of Jacob and of others, the shepherds were nomadic. They moved around. If you actually plot it on a map where Abraham went with his flocks, it is an ex a, a huge distance. If you look at Joseph, whenever Joseph's brothers were taken and they went to the Nile Delta, and when they returned, the distance they brought their flocks. And these flocks of sheep were enormous, enormous flocks of sheep. One of the earliest records that we have in history of a peace treaty is whenever Ramesses II, the pharaoh, captured Megiddo. And in the land of Megiddo, he captured the Canaanite land. And when he took the bounty, he took tens of thousands of sheep. Huge numbers of sheep. Abraham had an enormous flock. Job had an enormous flock. Solomon, whenever he celebrated the temple being opened, they killed hundreds of thousands of sheep. So these are enormous flocks. The people depend upon them. And in order to be able to sustain it, these men were nomadic. They moved around. But when we come to the New Testament, it's slightly different. Because by the time we come to the New Testament, while there are still huge flocks, and these huge flocks are owned and controlled by a man who would be the chief shepherd, and he would be the owner. And he would be the one who would be absent. But he would allocate to other shepherds his flocks to be looked after in smaller groups. Or sometimes families would get together. They'd get their sheep together. They'd amalgamate them. And they'd create a herd which a number of shepherds would look after. And why am I telling you all this? Because when you come to John 10 you see the picture. Because whenever the shepherds in an area would gather their sheep together, they would bring them into a fold. You've seen sheep folds. The wall around there, you know the story. The shepherd would lie in front of the door. 
they'll all be brought into the sheepfold. But it wouldn't only be one shepherd's sheep in that sheepfold. They would have all gathered them together. They'd have all put them into the sheepfold. And one shepherd would have been responsible. And the next morning, the shepherd would go out to collect his sheep. And he'd call them. My father was brought up in a sheep farm, and he knew how to call sheep. But the shepherd, each and every shepherd could call the sheep with his own call. And out of that fold, there would come the sheep. And he'd take them out. He'd look after them on the day. He'd care for them. And then he would take them back into the fold at night. We get that picture. What about the sheep? The sheep were different to our sheep. You'll have seen pictures of them. They have very, very large, fat tails which sustained them and kept them going over the, the harsh land. But they were mixed herd. They had sheep and they had Syrian goats in the same herd. Black sheep, black goats. And the reason was quite simple. Whenever they go to a piece of land, the shepherd, when he'd take them there, and they'd come to that piece of pasture, he would ensure that the sheep would be given the pasture because they nibbled down close to the ground. And he would separate the goats and he'd set them up into the hill because they would eat the leaves and they would be much more destructive in their feeding. And so the shepherd would actually separate the sheep and the goats. And even at night sometimes, whenever they were bringing them into their pens, the shepherd would separate them because he had different requirements for sustaining them. But if you were a man who had a huge flock, you hired shepherds, and they looked after them. And these shepherds looked after these flocks. And whenever they looked after the flocks, they did it for money. They didn't care about the flock. They didn't care about what was going on. They were more interested in making money. And so if something untoward happened, they might run away. They may even be dishonest because they had no attachment to the sheep. I'm giving you all of that context because I want you now to go to John chapter 10 with me. John chapter 10. Bear in mind the picture I have given you. We're no longer looking at huge nomadic herds. We're looking at a number of flocks caught, brought together with a chief shepherd looking after them who owns them and people who have been hired. That would have been common. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls the sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he brings his own sheep out, he goes before them. 
and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand these things when he spoke to them. He said to them, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Right back to Ezekiel 34. The phrase again, thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So you see the picture. The Lord Jesus Christ is talking to a situation He's saying, I am the good shepherd, but those around about you are thieves and robbers. And this immediately causes huge consternation. Why? To get the answer, we need to go into John 9. It's unfortunate there's a chapter break because it's exactly the same story the whole way through. Let me remind you of the story in John 9. There was a man who was blind from birth. And the Pharisees and the rulers hauled him up. Come here, Jesus. Look at this. Why is this man blind from birth? What did he do or was it his parents? And we say, let's see how he answers this one. Making a mockery of the man. Throwing him down and looking with contempt. The priests and the rulers who were to be the under-shepherds. God had provided under-shepherds right throughout the Old Testament. David repeatedly talks about being an under-shepherd, being a prince, where God is the chief shepherd and he is the under-shepherd. Moses is an under-shepherd. God repeatedly talking about being an under-shepherd and talking about raising rulers and men to lead and guide the people of Israel as under-shepherds, the priests and the Pharisees. Look at this man. What are you going to do about him? Jesus did a remarkable thing. He spat into the ground and he took clay and he didn't just smear their eye, his eyes, the blind man's eyes. He actually made balls of clay and forced them into the man's face and eyes. That's the phrase that's used. Forced them in. And then he told them to go and wash. The man went and washed his face, and he could see. And he came back, and he said, look, I can see. 
And, and the priests and the, the Pharisees and, and the rulers, those who have been ridiculing the man, those who have been standing, setting him up for ridicule, said, how did this happen? He says, a man called Jesus made me to see. A man who, if he was not from God, he could not have done this. You know what the priests and the Pharisees did? They took the very man who had been, they'd been ridiculing and they cast him out. In many ways, the picture is of a man being lifted out of the flock and being thrown out. And in those days, to be ostracized, excommunicated, put away, was a termination of your relationship with society. And he's sitting there in the steps of the temple, completely ostracized, and the Lord Jesus Christ came to him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man said, I do. And the Lord Jesus declared to him that he who was the Son of God had given him sight. While John only talked very briefly about that conversation, I'm sure the Lord Jesus Christ sat down beside that man and sympathized and talked. And as he was doing so, those who were the shepherds came around. And then the Lord Jesus Christ opens up. And he says, you're thieves and you're robbers. You're using the situation for your own good. You're doing things for your own purpose. You're abusing the position that God has given you. You're no longer caring for the sheep. You have lost them. And he lays into them. And these men are listening and they cannot answer. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Remember Ezekiel? In the book of Ezekiel, we were told that I will raise up one who will be the shepherd. I will raise up one who will come forward. Isaiah talks as well about one who will gather the lambs to his bosom. Micah talks about one who will be the shepherd. And they all knew, those men who knew their Old Testament, knew that the Messiah, the one who was to come, that one was the good shepherd. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands there and he says, I am the good shepherd. Not I am a shepherd. Not that I am a good shepherd. He uses a definite article, I am the good shepherd. And later in the chapter 10, we read, this, this man, this man says he is God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying. The shepherd in the Old Testament, 
God is the shepherd. In the Old Testament, God provided under-shepherds who led and guided the people. Those under-shepherds became corrupted and led the people astray. And God said, I will send a shepherd. And we move forward over 400 years, and there in the midst of this crowd of men who have just shaken their fists and ridiculed a man and have ostracized a woman who is caught in adultery and have taken a man who has been paralyzed and made a fool of him. And Lord Jesus Christ, they stand in front of him. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The, the power of that statement should not be lost upon us. I am the good shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ is unequivocally stating that he is divine. He is God. And he goes on in the chapter to identify and bring together the relationship between the Father and the Son. But he talks about the role of the shepherd bringing his people. And then he goes on to say, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. <laughs> Hirelings, people who were just brought along to do a job, they ran away. They got paid, they were satisfied. If the shepherd... Um, manages to get all the sheep back, uh, fine. The good shepherd. The imagery right throughout the Old Testament is the sheep that was lost. 99. One lost. And the shepherd goes out and finds that one that is lost and brings him home on his shoulders rejoicing. The images of one who cares, one who loves, the good shepherd. But let's go to the other bookend. The other bookend. Jacob says, God has been my shepherd. And at the other bookend of the Bible, we read, the lamb will be their shepherd. What a contradiction doesn't seem to make sense. Lambs can't be shepherds. Lambs are, are shepherded. So what does it mean? These people, we believe, as we read the passage, have come out from a period in history which is known as the Great Tribulation. They have suffered for their faith. And they come as martyrs for their faith into the presence of the Lamb. And the lamb takes them and cares for them and looks after them and provides for them because the lamb loves them, because the lamb is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. You see the picture right throughout the Bible in parallel with the good shepherd and the sheep is a picture of a sacrificial lamb, a lamb which is sacrificed for the sin, 
and a lamb that dies as a sin atonement. And whenever we get into the New Testament, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, when he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lamb of God died for our sins. So how good is this shepherd? This shepherd is not only God. This shepherd is not only the Son of God. This shepherd gave his life for you. He is the Lamb of God. And while it seems to be a contradiction in terms, it blends together that beautiful statement that the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so when we go to the end of the Bible, we go to the book of Revelation, and we open it, we see our reigning exalted Lamb. I will pick it up more next week. But what it means is this, that the good shepherd became a substitute for you and for me. NBC carried a TV program a number of years ago and they tracked the man down in Poland and they went into his small house and there sitting on the mantelpiece in his house was a roughly hewn and carved little statue and written across the bottom of it it said he died for me and that little statue is one of the most poignant, incredible stories to come out of Auschwitz. Because the man who was showing the statue was called out by name to be executed for crimes that others had done. And as he was called out, he cried out, I have a wife and children, spare me. And beside him, a, a priest stepped out. He said, let this man go. Take me. And the cruel oppressors of Auschwitz grabbed him, the priest, confined him until he died from malnutrition and cold. The man whose life had been spared, hewed, carved, this little statue, he died for me. And that's what the lamb who will be their shepherd did for you. He died for you. And here's the remarkable statement. The remarkable depth of that little phrase, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd is God. The shepherd allowed others to act on his behalf as under-shepherds. Those shepherds became corrupted and twisted and eventually led the people into captivity. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands in front of them and says, I am the good shepherd. And how much do I love you, my sheep? I love you so much that I am willing to give my life for you. There's a future 
for every Christian here. One day, we will see the Lamb of God. And there's only one thing in heaven that is man-made. Only one thing. And it's the marks in his hands and his feet. Because he died for you. Where do you stand tonight? Where are you as an individual? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world. He died for you. He cares for you. He leads you. He guides you. He sustains you. He is the good shepherd. I don't know if you watched The Voice last night. You're beginning to think I've lost my marbles, aren't you? I watched a part of it. I watched a bit where Tom Jones sang that he would not crumble. I don't know if you saw that. A very moving song about how he was, his wife had died and how he refused to crumble. He would sustain her and be with her as long as he could. People were in tears to see him to sing. It was moving. But I have one who will never crumble. No matter what I go through, no matter what I face, no matter what lies ahead for me, I know I have a good shepherd. And how do I know he's good? He gave his life for the sheep. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come into your presence this evening and we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, our Father, that by making the declaration that he is the good shepherd, he is God incarnate. And our Father, unlike the shepherds of Israel and those around him, who were there for their own benefit. He came to give, to seek, to save. He is a good shepherd. And Father, we thank you that the good shepherd gave his life for each and every one of us. Our Father, as we look into the future, we see one who will care for us, one who will sustain us, one who will never crumble, one who will be our shepherd, our guide through all eternity. For this we give you thanks in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.